Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh. Stir up your might and come to save us. Restore us, O God. Let your face shine that we may be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? You have fed them with the bread of tears, given them tears to drink in full measure. You make us the scorn of our neighbors. Our enemies laugh amongst themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. Psalm 81, 7. Now you are walled around with a wall. Siege is laid against us. With a rod they strike the ruler of Israel upon the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, who are, who are one of the little clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me, one who is to rule Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has brought forth, when the rest of his kindred shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of his name, the Lord his God. And they shall live secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of earth, and he shall be the one of peace. Micah chapter 5, verse 1 to 5. At that time, some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place and go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. He replied, Go tell that fox, I will keep on driving out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and on the third day I will reach my goal. In any case, I must press on today and tomorrow and the next day, for surely no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Luke 13, 31 to 35. Let's pray together, church. Oh God, help me to do you justice today. I'm always amazed at how you choose to use people that are frail and disqualified to speak your name. You always have. And it's not the way I would have done it, but God, it's the way you do it. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful today, and I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that everywhere today, your power is being proclaimed through men and women, through people. And so, God, I pray that today as we speak of you, as we hear your word, Lord, let your water of life flow generously and full into our hearts by the power of your spirit. Amen. What is it going to take to wake you up, God? What is it going to take to rouse you from your slumber. Great shepherd, look at your flock. They're scattered. One who is enthroned 
with the angels, the God of the heavenly hosts, the commander of the armies of heaven. Your people need you. Restore us. Make your face to shine upon us that we might be saved. It's almost like the the psalmist in Psalm 80 can't really believe what he's seeing and what he's hearing. I mean, the warnings were there, the signs were there, it was clear that it was going to happen. But even when when you know it's going to happen, you don't really think that it's going to happen until it happens. And this particular happening is the fall of the northern tribes of Israel. Judah watches pretty much helplessly as as the northern tribes having backed the wrong horse, squished between the superpowers of the day, between Egypt in the south and Assyria in the north, they choose to back Egypt and it doesn't go well. The prophets will later say that it's divine judgment and it probably is because They've set up these golden calves at the ends of their, of their country so that people won't go to the temples, don't, won't go to the temple in Judah. And it's paved the way for a lot of worship of, of other things, but really a worship of self. And, and maybe you could say that they had it coming, but not like this. Not like this, God. See, there's no talk of them and they and that in this psalm. It's us and it's we, because let's just put it, even when you're not getting along with your family, there's still family. And to watch your family go into exile is burdensome, is devastating. God, what's it going to take to wake you up? What's it going to take to rouse you? Look, great gardener, look at the vine that you've tended. It's on fire. It's been hacked to pieces. Restore us. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. And in the middle of this, the psalmist says, Let your hand rest on the one at your right hand, the Son of Man that you have raised up for yourself, so then we will not turn away from you or him. Revive us so that we can call on your name. Restore us, O Lord Almighty. Make your face to shine among us that we may be saved. And this cry goes out from the psalmist for restoration. And guess what happens? Things get worse. Things get worse. Because... The ten tribes to the north are not just Judah's brothers and sisters, it's their big brother. It's the one with the political and military clout. So now all of a sudden, Assyria has taken over them, and now Judah stands exposed. And maybe they just have trouble figuring out who are the bad guys, or the ones who were opposed against them, or maybe they don't care. Maybe they just like conquering people. Okay? I kind of think it's probably that. It's... It's fun to put somebody under your boot, and so they do. And Assyria moves down into Judah, and Hezekiah the king tries to negotiate with them, but it doesn't do any good. 
You have you your with the rod they strike Israel's ruler on the cheek. That's really really nice language. Okay, what it really means is you've been publicly humiliated and beaten by the commander of the other army, probably physically as well as figuratively. And now the army surrounds Jerusalem. And now they're trying to figure out how to get water and food in. And now it really looks desperate. Um, if you look at verse, if you look at the first verse of Micah five, I really hope at the end when it says something like, "You are walled in with a wall," or "Marshal your troops, O Israel," or something like that, that there's a little letter that says. You know, goes down into your little footnotes, and it's like the Hebrew for this is unclear, okay? Let me explain to you what that means. We're not really sure that we can translate this the way it literally is because, frankly, it's too uh, gut wrenching. This word, you're walled in with a wall, it could also say, you are slashed, O daughter of slashers, or you have been gashed, or even you have slashed yourself. There is a train of thought here that says that things have gotten so desperate that if you remember the story in 1 Kings where the prophets of Baal were dancing around the altar of of Baal, cutting themselves open with their knives and bleeding, trying to get the God's attention. This thing that Elijah was mocking, going, yeah, no, go ahead, keep doing that. Maybe he'll listen. That things have gotten so desperate in Jerusalem that they've started self-harming themselves, inflicting wounds on themselves just to try and get God to hear. That's how bad it is. And now your city is under siege. Now you are under siege. Like, Travis, this does not sound like a sermon about love. And I'm like, I know, I I know, I know. Like, stick with me here, okay? See, here's the the thing, and and especially I think it's important for us to think about this when, when we talk about, when we talk about the gift of the baby in the manger, is that that gift is a long time coming, And when we throw out verses in Isaiah, like the people who have been walking in darkness have seen a great light, here's the thing. Just because they've seen a great light doesn't mean that they're not still walking in the dark. And just because they're walking in the dark doesn't mean that the light's not there. There's a tension here. That's why this is Advent. That's why this is the season of anticipation. Because... Yes, the manger is full. Okay, but but this is not the one whom we expected. Okay? Because this is made of rubber and plastic and stuff with cotton, obviously. Okay, but, but this, isn't, this isn't the reality of my hope, right? This is a representation of something that I don't have yet which is my God back in the flesh, here, Emmanuel, with me once and for all. O Lord, restore us, turn your face, and shine on us, that we may be saved. Come, 
make this right. Whatever that means for you right now, okay? I mean, you, you know, a lot of you know what our family is facing this Christmas time. And our cry is, come make this right. Because it's not right. We're not going to pretend that it's right, because it's not. But we're also not going to pretend that the people in walking in darkness can't see the light too, because both of those things have to be true at the same time. It's what this is about. And there's never been a time, I mean, it's a universal cry, right? There's never been a time where some group of people, it goes across culture and it goes across history. There's never been a group of, there's never been a time where people have not said, this is not right, God, I need you to make this right. And we long for justice. But here's the thing, the fourth candle that we lit at Advent today is not the candle of justice. It's the candle of love. And what do you do when you're looking for justice and you get something else instead? Now you are walled in with a wall. Now you have gashed yourself, O lady, under siege. Your city is under siege. But... You owe Bethlehem. <laughs> Though you are small, okay, that, I, it's not just that, it's not that just Bethlehem's this little like city back in the sticks, okay, that's not even the thing. Bethlehem, though you are absolutely insignificant and nobody's noticing you and nobody's even thinking about you right now, you're not even on the map. Because Jerusalem is under siege. That's where I'm doing my thing. That's where I'm doing my thing. Just because your city is under siege, don't forget that I might be doing something over here that you can't see. Where is the seat and where is the source? of your understanding of what I'm up to? Is it just in what's happening to you right now? And what you're in right now? Or, or, or will you surrender yourself to me enough to see that I might be doing something over here that you aren't even thinking about? And I think that's the, that's the challenge to us as we wait and anticipate for God to come and make things right and we don't get the justice that we're praying for, that we're longing for, that we're looking for, for God to just come and fix this thing. Because here's the thing, God's never worked that way, (laughs) you know? I mean, he tried it once in Genesis 6. That was a little terrifying. And he said, you know what? I'm never going to do that again, ever, 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 ever. And every time we see the rainbow, that's the reminder. I am never going to come in from the top down and wipe the slate clean and just fix it. Because that's not really going to be what you need, even if it's what you want.
the funny thing is, is that the siege on Jerusalem gets fixed in just a couple of weeks. And it's miraculous. Like, you read about it. Okay? God comes in and in one night levels the entire Assyrian army of Sennacherib with a plague. Boom. Gone. Siege is over. Happens so fast, it's the lepers living outside of town that have to come tell the king that it's happened because it happens so fast, nobody even realizes it's happened yet. Why doesn't he put that in Micah? Your city's under siege now, but don't worry, I'm going to take care of it in two weeks. He talks about something that's going to be 700 years before a frightened Jewish teenager has the courage to say, my soul will magnify the Lord and my spirit will rejoice in God because he's looked down on my humble state and been mindful of me. 700 years. How many people live and strive and hope and die never realizing that I'm doing something in Bethlehem that you can't see? And yet they live and they move with purpose and hope anyway, as best they can, in the promises of God. And how many years has it been since that hope was realized in the manger? And since that hope was filled in the cross, and since that hope was fulfilled in the tomb, and Jesus says, I'm coming back. Take heart. And we grow weary of waiting for God to make it right. And we grow weary of waiting for him to come in the flesh again and finish this thing. Today is the 23rd of December, right? Which is good news. It's good news because it's not the 21st of December. It's not the darkest day of the year anymore. It's not the longest night anymore. Can you tell the difference right now? I'm still getting up in the dark. I'm still working in the dark. I still get home at twilight. My body still wants to go to bed at 5.30. Maybe for some of you that happens all the time. I don't know. Okay. But, like, it doesn't feel... Like it's getting better, even though it is. And that's the state that we live in. You're like, okay, you need to turn the corner on this really quick, Travis, okay? Because now I'm really like, you know, getting depressed for Christmas. Okay, I understand. I'm going to turn the corner on this. But it may not be, I mean, I'm going to turn the corner on this for real. I'm not going to wrap this up in a bow because that's not the way this works, okay? In fact, Jesus says this is not the way it works, okay? And, and just think about it. When he comes in the manger, do things get better? They get worse. 
they get worse. They get a lot worse if you live in Bethlehem. And even when the tomb is empty and he is risen and he appears to all the disciples and he says, don't worry, take heart, I'm coming back. Do things get better or do they get worse? They get worse. Okay. And so when we hope in the Lord and things don't get better, they get worse. Congratulations. You are a part of a long-standing tradition of people who have surrendered to the Lord and shared in his sufferings and even become like him in his death so that we may taste the abundant life, which does not mean we may taste good life where everything goes exactly like we want it to. It means where we get to live all of it, the good, the bad, and the terribly ugly with purpose and with meaning and with hope again. And what would you do if you didn't have that purpose and that meaning and that hope? How would you be able to live when things get worse? I don't know how. I don't know how you would. In our verse in Luke, Jesus is, is he, some Pharisees come to him, and, and, and we give Pharisees a bad name, okay? You need to realize Jesus was a Pharisee, okay? And, and not everybody that was a Pharisee disagreed with him. We have no reason to think these guys are tricking him. These are probably the guys that are like your Nicodemus and your Joseph of Arimathea. These are probably the guys that really like Jesus, and they may even have an inkling that he is Messiah, and they come to him and they say, look, Herod's marshalling his forces against you. You've got to get out of here. But what they're really saying, the undertone of what they're saying is, the enemy is on the move. If you're the guy, now's a great time to do that Messiah stuff that you're supposed to be doing. Which in our mind is, now's the time. You've been working around Galilee for a while. I'm sure you've got... Some sort of ragtag army put together like all the other messiahs that came before you. Okay, if you're the real deal, now's the time to do what you're supposed to do. Get the armies together and come fix this mess. Starting with Herod, and then you can kick all the rest of the foreign powers out when you're done with him. Establish Israel, do all the stuff that, we're, that we've been hoping for. We've been hoping for this stuff for 700 years. You're the guy, right? Do the stuff. And Jesus goes, all right, go tell Herod I'm going to do the stuff. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to keep healing. That is not on our list of what Messiah is supposed to be doing, Jesus. I know. I'm going to keep freeing people from their demons. That is not what is on our list of what Messiah is supposed to be doing to make things right. I know. I know. But that's what I'm going to keep doing. And I'm going to do it today. And I'm going to do it beyond today. And sometime beyond, beyond today, I'm going to finish all this.
I believe that God is still healing. I believe that Jesus is still doing his work of healing. I believe that Jesus is still doing his work of freeing people and pushing down the powers of this world and the powers of the heavenlies that want to enslave us. I believe that he is doing that still, even when I can't always see it. I believe that he's doing it today. I believe that he's going to keep doing it. And I believe that there is a point somewhere beyond the tomorrow part where this is going to finish. In the meantime... I am Jerusalem under siege, and I have to listen to Jesus' challenge because he turns around and he does something really uncharacteristic. He weeps over Jerusalem. Not uncharacteristic for Jesus, but uncharacteristic for somebody who's a military commander. And he says, I have longed to gather you in under my wings and care for you, but you're not willing to surrender yourself to me like this. And when you don't do that, your house is left desolate to you and you don't get to see anything until that day when I show and you say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And I think we're still in that position today because we've, we've got a choice to make, especially, especially when we're trying to celebrate the reality of Jesus coming in the flesh and it is the darkest hour for us. Are we willing to let Jesus draw us into himself and into his love when what we really might want is for him to just like fix things? Are we willing to wait on him and take rest in his love, which may not be the thing we want, but it may be the thing that we really, really need because it's the thing that gives life? Are we willing to let Jesus, instead of being the one who works... I can't say it better than I can't say it better than the kids did than 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 the the children's thing did. Jesus, I didn't come to be the boss. I didn't come to be supreme dictator of the world. I came to be the gift. For God so loved the world, He didn't come and fix it all. For God so loved the world, He gave Himself and entered into us and our situation, and wrapped himself up in our flesh and became familiar with our sufferings and participated in the death that brings life for us. That's how God is doing this thing. And we've got the same choice to make as we did before. Will we, will we surrender ourselves to him, or will we be like the Jerusalem of old that was so focused on the fact that it was under siege and looking for justice that it refused to see what God was doing in Bethlehem. What will we do? Who will we be? Because justice, I hate to say it, won't bring a rightness to death. It won't bring a rightness to brokenness or pain. It, it not, not like we want it. Um, it is the Song of Solomon that says, in a very inspired piece of it, bind me as a seal on your heart, bind me as a seal on your arm, because love is as strong as death. Love 
is as unyielding as the grave. It is an unquenchable fire that will not be snuffed out by the floods, that will not be drowned in the depths. What do we really need in our darkest hour? Do we need justice? Do we need God to come make everything right? No, we need the love that outlasts our pain. The love that outlasts our suffering. The love that can outlast our waiting. And ultimately, love that comes to the hungry grave and steals it all back for us. That's what we really need. We're going to pray together again. Different kind of prayer, responsive prayer. Your parts are up here in the bold with the response. So I'll, I'll say this prayer, and when we get to those parts, if you'll say it with me. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Out of the depths I have cried to you. O Lord, hear my voice. With my whole heart, I want to praise you. O Lord, hear my voice. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? Who could stand? I will wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word, I do hope. Lord, you've always given bread for the coming day. And though I am poor, today I will believe. Lord, you have always given strength for the coming day. And though I am weak, today I will believe. Lord, you have always given your peace for the coming day. And though I am of anxious heart, today I will believe. Lord, you have always kept near in trials of many kinds. And now tried as I am, today I will believe. Lord, you faithfully marked the road for the coming day, and though it may be hidden now from my sight, today I will believe. Lord, you have always been present in this darkness of mine, and though now the night is near, today I will believe. And Lord, you have always spoken when the time is right, and though you be silent now, today I will believe. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. Amen. Lord bless you and keep you this Christmas time.